welcome to another episode of Lady in the Champs podcast. I'm Michelle Bodkin, the host and creator of this thing. It's been a minute since I've been on, a little bit longer than I was planning. Unfortunately, people have lives, which is really weird to me. But I am so happy to have Steve Tate on. Steve Tate is a former University of Utah football player, um, and he's now doing some pretty incredible things completely outside the realm of football. Um, And I, I think what makes Steve's life so compelling is that he has experienced and achieved unthinkable highs that very few people ever get to experience, as well as unthinkable lows that nobody ever thinks they'll ever experience. And so I wanted to talk to him about his playing time at Utah and then now kind of his family life and, and his newfound purpose in life. So Steve, thanks for giving me giving me like an hour of your time. Of course. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, happy to be on here and you kind of uh, you kind of explained it well. I've been through the highs of the highs and the, the lows of the lows. So Steve, just to jump in, when did you decide that you wanted to play football? When did you decide that this is a cool thing and, and I want to do this and not only do this, but be good at it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting having my, my own kids now. I, I played soccer all the way till like eighth grade. And uh, well, in sixth grade, I was still playing soccer, and um, you know, football really wasn't the cool thing to do. Nobody really did it. And but I'd go out and play with my older brother, and my older brother never played football. He, in fact, he didn't play sports in general. <laughs> and uh, but I'd go out and play with the neighbor kids, and uh, and finally, I told my dad, I said, I want to play football. And I, he signed me up in sixth grade. Of course, he said I still had to play soccer, so I was playing the soccer and baseball and football and. Uh, you know, I just started gravitating towards it. Um, I was always fast. Uh, the physical component I probably lacked to begin to begin with, but um, you know, I look at my son. You know, I, my son, I coach, I coach him. He started when he was eight. Um, he was probably he was way way more prepared for it to start out with than I was when I was uh, in in sixth grade. But you know, I, I I learned early on, even that first year, I had a I just had like these kind of God-given instincts, uh, and, and it came really easy for me. Um, and so, but never did I imagine, you know, I never even imagined going on and playing college football. I mean, that wasn't, you know, that, my hope was to go play for, for Skyline, the, the high school that I attended, and that was kind of my dream. But I never intended it uh, for it to, to become some something much greater than, obviously, high school football. When did you know that playing in college was going to be a reality for you? You know, it's funny uh, at Skyline. Uh, obviously, the history of Skyline and, and and the dynasty they had. That was like college football was almost like second. It almost t- took like a, a backdoor to to what Skyline was about. It was all about you know winning a championship. So even up until like you know my senior year, I had I had gotten interest from from various schools. Uh, Stanford was was high on me. Um, but you know, Skyline was not. I, I, they weren't great at promoting their players, and um, you know, so I kind of got lost in the shuffle. I was a, I started safety my junior year, and then I went to, to quarterback. And you know, because of that that transition from a different position, I kind of got lost in the shuffle in the recruiting uh, in the recruiting process. And so, I didn't even have an offer my senior year. Even going into the championship game, I didn't have an offer from any school, and and it wasn't. It was odd because I, I kind of knew I would be Mr. Football, and the things I was doing was was pretty remarkable for for the state of Utah. But 
at that time it was just recruiting was different mm -hmm. and um I, I didn't worry about it uh my senior year when i when i got offered there were only five kids my senior year that got that got scholarship offers to play football so you know times have changed a little bit but um it was probably i, I think towards you know my senior year homecoming game i had five touchdowns and 205 yards i mean i, I kind of sensed that i could go on to play but I still had no offers, so it was it was still kind of up in the open. What made you ultimately decide to stay home and, and play for Utah, especially since when you kind of signed up for it, they still weren't really what they are today? Yeah, in fact, um, they played hardball with me. I, I, I love Utah, um, and I can say this now because it, it, it's not the coach that was recruiting me, but they were playing hardball, and they were just trying to – they were trying to get to – they were doing the, the good old uh, homeboy – uh, come walk on type uh, mentality and I I was pushing back and they weren't used to that and I was basically demanding a scholarship and anyhow they came late Utah came late and Utah State offered me right away and and they showed love so I actually went to Utah State and then I got up there and uh, you know I was able to start my freshman year and ultimately a, a coaching change happened and there was a lot more love shown to me from Utah um, after that coaching change and, and Urban basically on my mission, uh, reached out through, you know, other people and, and kind of informed me that, Hey, if I wanted to come, there's an offer here at Utah for me. So that's, that's how I, uh, that's how I made the change. Um, I grew up a Utah fan. I mean, you could see right here in the office, my, my grandpa played on the 47, uh, championship team. So I grew up a diehard Utah fan. Um, and it was, it was home. I mean, Utah state was great and everything, but Utah was just, that's just, that was all, it's been my blood. Very understandable. I, I think a lot of people that have gone through that program or have even experienced being around it in some capacity, they can feel that. Um, what I want to get into now, though, is I don't think a lot of people outside the state of Utah understand how much impact some of the in-state schools have had on the, the, I mean, very recent history within the last 35 years or so of college football with BYU winning the national championship, it kind of resulted in the BCS era, trying to keep smaller schools mm -hmm. out, trying to keep from a, another BYU or similar type school from winning the national championship. And I think the powers that be really thought that they did a great job and, and figured it out. And then along comes Utah in yeah. 2004, and they turned the whole thing over on its head and really start, I think, the conversation towards now the the playoff system that has been adopted within the last few years. But it all started with Utah going undefeated and somehow sneaking into that BCS scenario. What was it like being on that team? You know, it was it was incredible. I mean, you kind of knew even even going throughout workouts and having you know Urban there. I mean, you you kind of sensed a. Uh, you sensed some some magic in that team. You kind of sensed that this was uh, we were destined to do something great. I mean, the year prior, I was on my mission, just had gotten home, and they had gone and obviously, uh, and they had gone and I think only lost two games that year. So they jumped quite a bit from the previous season under uh, under Coach McBride. But you sensed that year, that festival year, just with the, the leaderships we had, that um, the guys on the team. Um, you, you sensed that something was going to happen that was going to be great. And I think, you know, I love Urban, but I think ultimately he knew, he looked at the roster and he knew, you know, based on the talent that this team had, 
I think Urban knew he could do something special with his team and, and ultimately it led him to take that next step in his coaching career. But I think that 2004 team, I, I still say it to this day, you know, we could have beaten anyone that year. I mean, it was just, we were that good. Um, we were well coached. Uh, we had uh, obviously NFL like talent on that team all around. Um, but we kind of had, we just, we had, we had kind of combination of everything, the, the mentality and, and no one, no one was going to beat us that year. Um, and I think that you're right. I think that was, you know, if you were to look at which program has, 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 you know, uh, right now nationally really took a altered college football, I'd say it was Utah, mm -hmm. not, not even the BCS, but also the fact that here was the first time a non power five team jumped into a power five conference. Um, so it was, it was really unprecedented mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of that. I know you guys sensed that there was magic within your realm. Did you ever expect that it would blow up into some of some of the outward consequences? Other teams getting into the BCS as well. Um, yeah, I think I think how we, the way in which it happened, and then ultimately, um, well, you know, unfortunately, we had to play a, a, a lesser opponent in Pitt. We didn't mm -hmm. get like the Auburn that year that we probably wish we would have. Um, I think that led to Boise State, right? And then Boise State was able to go and. And I, I think when they paired them against Oklahoma, I think perhaps uh, college football was hoping that it would be a blowout. And, it, and sure enough, Boise. So I think, you know, you got to give credit to Boise, too. Boise uh, was, was able to go and get an Oklahoma and then beating Oklahoma. And then, of course, Utah going and, and then getting Alabama. I mean, it all kind of, uh, it, it all kind of formed uh, probably opposite of what, you know, the big powerhouse teams wanted it to 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 amount to and and here you know utah us and boise state all of a sudden got in the picture and not only got in the picture we were beating these teams so um you know i think it showed it showed just how small the gap at that time um between the the non-bcs the good non-bcs teams and and obviously the, the the ones that were part of the you know p5 conference at that time what's it like now looking back because i think i think 15-ish years removed, you can actually kind of see, yeah, that's see, that's crazy. <laughs> see the big picture yeah. of, of kind of the consequences of what, what happened that year. Now understanding that like you guys were a big part of history yeah. in college football, huge part of history. What's that like? It's, it's cool. I mean, it like, you know, we're going to have uh here, there, there, uh, introducing us into the to Utah Hall of Fame here shortly the 2014 uh, you know and you see urban and obviously him talking about that was that was his most magical season his special the most special season as a coach that 2014 you start to you know and, and obviously now my son being 13 and, and you know uh, having a football kind of career in, in his in his own world it's it's fun to be able to go back and and look at that and and really as you as we've mentioned uh, having a, a big part in, in kind of where college football has gone. Uh, yeah, it, it is special. I mean, um, you know, I can't say that there's not, uh, there's not some jealousy when I look at Utah, you know, and they're, and they're getting this recognition and you go see the um, incredible facilities that they have. And, um, you know, obviously we led to that, but mm -hmm. you know, there's that envy factor too. Hey, you know, or there's always that, Hey, do you think you would have played now then, you know, or you would have been an all conference player now, 
as opposed to 15 years ago. And I, you know, I still say yes, but you know, <laughs> others will disagree, but you know, yeah, you have those fact those, those now, those conversations that you didn't have before. I want to switch gears, kind of get more into after football life. Cause you didn't pursue football after college, at least not much to my knowledge. Yeah, I got it. I had an opportunity. Um, I had a, yeah, I was probably anywhere between projected to, to follow in between like a fifth round and a free agent opportunity. In my mindset, uh, I had a son. We were expecting my daughter. In my mindset, uh, I had promised myself I will take football as far as it takes me, and I won't. Mm-hmm. I won't be. I won't go beyond that. Um, and what that meant was ultimately, if there was a contract, if there was money that I could uh, afford to pay the bills and you know uh, support my family, then I'd take it. If there wasn't, it was time for me to hang up. And so, sure enough, you know, I got an opportunity with Tampa Bay. Um, they presented the offer, and there was basically it was just a day-to-day contract, no money involved, and it was that was it. That was it. it was, I walked away and uh, decided, hey, you know what? I, I time to move on and close a chapter in my life. How hard is that moving on from something that you've been doing and investing a lot of time into? Because I know a lot of guys kind of struggle with what what do I yeah. do now? Yeah, it is. Uh, I you go through an identity crisis, a hundred percent. It's, it's how people know you. It's, you know, they associate you with football and all of a sudden you're now not football and you've got to go, you've really got to kind of figure out who you are. Um, you know, I hate to, I hate to compare it to this, but in some ways it's like, you know, all of a sudden you get done with active service and, and you, you know, it's now I'm a, I'm a, so now I'm a real civilian. I got to go figure out life. And, you know, in some ways playing a sport and then all of a sudden being done, it's there's a huge transition Mm -hmm. and not to mention i think they've gotten better but the time they don't you know you're not prepared for real life i mean you know you're everything you do is football sure you get your education but you have no work experience you've got no internships on your resume you're hoping that just somebody out there takes a chance on you um, because they either know you or at least um, at least value the fact that you're a student athlete because you know when you compare yourself to somebody else that's been in the job in the workforce for the last four or five years your resume pales in comparison you know it's 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 nothing compared to what what uh, what theirs are what what their resume is so uh, yeah it's a huge transition and some guys never do it i mean i still have some teammates 15 years later that probably never kind of switched identities and you know they're the ones perhaps still chasing their dream or you know or having some identity crisis still 15 years later does it worry you at all now with your son kind of coming of age and and looking into football with you mentioned earlier how recruiting's completely changed having gone through that identity crisis like are you coaching him up on that now or like is there any concern there uh yeah i think having gone through the recruiting process is not fun you know it's as much as people think it's fun you know, we we see the kids and they put on their hats and this and that, but they don't hear the conversations and the the pressure that is going on uh, behind the camera, right? And it's it's a it is a process that uh, sometimes I don't envy uh, these kids that are that are in it. Um, it's changed ultimately. It's changed quite a bit. Uh, social media has has revamped it entirely. I mean. Um, mm-hmm. Now teams across the country have access to a player in Utah. Before that was not the case. I mean, we were sending—I was sending VHS tapes, mm-hmm. and that's how crazy it was back then. I was sending VHS tapes to, you know, Northwestern and and uh, Nebraska and all these schools. Um, it, it's changed, and and I think with my son, 
Um, he's he's it'll be interesting to see what path he, he opens up for him. I think football is when when I look at him, he's certainly um, more prepared to play college football, both from a physical standpoint, probably from a mental standpoint, than I ever was at his age. You know, but you know, a lot of things still remain to be seen how 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 it all plays out. But um, fortunately for him, he'll have a dad that's gone through it, and and I'll be able to give him better advice than perhaps I got. I mean, my parents didn't even have an older son that played played sports, mm-hmm. so all of a sudden they they were new to it completely. So I think having the experience now will will prepare myself for my for my sons in the future. I think the most incredible aspect of your life. And, and of, of all your kids who, I mean, they, they have great personalities. If, if you haven't followed him on Instagram, like <laughs> never a dull moment, never a dull moment. Um, but it all started with finding out that you were having triplets after yeah. you already had three kids already. Yeah. Talk about an identity crisis. And <laughs> I was like, I went from like, I went phases, right? I was Steve Tate, the football player. And then I was like, Steve Tate, the triplet dad, right? After three kids, he gets triplets. And then ultimately, and I've, I've said this, and ultimately went to the next stage, which was Hayes' dad, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I've worn kind of three different hats and three different identities, and each each one of them I, I relish. I, I take pride in all three of those. What's it like getting getting that news that it's it's not one more baby, no. it's it's three more? I mean, it was, it was like, honestly, there's nothing that prepares you. And then you, you don't, there's you don't want to face like that reality so you don't we went like two weeks without telling anyone i mean we told the kids but it was like don't tell anyone like how are we going to break this there's not really i mean you know i i wrote about it in my book it's like it's not like that doesn't just occur in regular conversation like you just don't hey how's your day Uh, by the way we're having three babies you know i mean there's just there's not like a perfect way to uh share the news that you're experiencing that you're about to expect triplets um, so it, yeah, it was shocking. I mean, I, I almost fainted to be honest. It was like, I, I mean, it was like, I almost dropped on the floor. The nurse had to come like, give me water. Truth, true story. She had to like, come get me water. Oh. We walked out of the, out of the doctor's office. And it was funny because all these other, all these nurses had talked and, uh, they all like came out and they were looking and kind of whispering and smiling. And, you know, we're just like in shock, complete shock. I like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But so you have these babies, you're trucking along, everything seems fine until it wasn't fine. When, when did you realize that something was wrong with Hayes? Uh, You know, Hayes was, Hayes, Hayes was always, I kind of um, compared him to myself and my football career, right? Hayes, Hayes was kind of like the underdog. He, so the last the last baby that's born usually has the hardest time to adjust. Mm-hmm. They're usually um, slower to, prog- to to progress through uh, those learning phases in life, crawling, sitting up. Uh, they spend more time in the NICU, statistically speaking. But like Hayes, immediately would, there was like he had no ventilator. He was like this fighter. Um, he was younger. He was smaller than his older than his than his big brother, his older brother. Um, but he was just like relishing, and he was the first to sit up, the first to crawl. And then it was it was kind of uh, about the nine months nine month mark. He had just been amazing at on all these milestones, and and then next thing you know, he started kind of digressing a little bit, mm-hmm. and you, it, you saw him 
uh, his, he, you just you just felt like something was wrong. He was taking a he was taking an extra nap. Um, we just had that instinct inside us that said something's off. Doctors kept telling us he was fine. He just had a virus. He's getting over. But we just we sensed something was wrong. And then you know you could tell some uh, some of the motor skills that he had learned were kind of deteriorating. Um, so there were a lot of warning signs that kind of basically were saying, "Hey, you need to you need to find out what's going on here." You get the prognosis. It's I think honestly the most unimaginable thing you could ever hear because it's a baby and you think of babies as healthy because yeah. they're young and they're brand new and and what could possibly go wrong? It's cancer. What's going through your guys's mind at that point? Oh, you know, it's you just you receive that news and it's life-changing. It's earth-shattering. I mean, it's to, to use a cliche. I mean, it is it rocks you. I mean, you think you think you can handle tough situations until you get that. And that, you know, I've said that that's the second worst thing you could hear as a parent is that your son has cancer. And, um, you know, we just, we did our, you just go through this process, you know, and a lot of, I think perhaps what I went through with football was, was just, okay, well, what's the next step? Okay. I'm going to overcome this or, okay, how do I, how do I deal with this? And, you know, you don't have time to, to really cope. You just, you basically, you know, what I did is just focus on my other kids. Okay, how do, how do I present this to my kids? How are we going to get through this as a family? You know, I mean, I, I, I just kind of went through more of a survival mode to, to cope with it. And I think that survival mode helped me through his, his, through his treatments. You know, it was always, there was ne a next step. It was like, okay, so let's get to the next step. Let's get to the next step. And that, the, you know, and, and that's, that's how I grew up, right? Football was, okay, you lose a game, what's, what's the next step? How can I get better? And I think the, the treatment phase of, of, of Hayes' cancer was, was just that. It was just getting to the next step. How do we get to the next step? Um, and in and, and some ways, that, that kept me sane. That kept me um, somewhat level-headed and, and didn't, didn't allow me to look too far behind or too far forward. You kind of brought up your football experience and relaying it to going through having your child have cancer. Do you, I, I don't think there's anything that can ever truly prepare you yeah. for that, but do you think having that background in football was at least somewhat helpful? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. Nothing, nothing prepares you for it. I think, you know, um, you learn to be in, in football. So there's, and maybe it kind of relates to the 2014, but people, we were, we were tough physically we were really talented we were gifted but urban made us i think that's a, if you look at the difference between what utah was before urban what they were after him they were they were always always physically talented they lacked mental right and mm -hmm. and urban revamped that i mean he he played mental games with you i mean he he wanted to make you mentally tough and i had to go through that mentally tough process with with Hayes, I kind of you know kind of learned the things that made me mentally tough with um, when I played football specifically under Urban, and I, and I think it was that it was training. I mean, it was all mental. It was all mental. I mean, because that's you're you're learning. You can't look far too far ahead. Can't look behind. You've got to find a way to train your mind mentally to get through the next day. And it was a mental. It was it was just training myself mentally to be to be stronger, to be more focused, to live in the now and uh, embrace whatever challenges come, but ultimately 
embrace the day that you had and, and celebrate that day with your child because you didn't know how many more how, how many more days you had. Hayes beat it once. Um, what what was that like? Was was there a certain amount of relief, or was it like a temporary thing? Knowing knowing that like he he got through the first the first part of it. Yeah, I mean, you you celebrate milestones when you get them. So you, we would celebrate, and we'd have the kids celebrate. But ultimately, you know, in the back of your mind, it's it's brain cancer, and, and you know, he was in remission, and uh, you know, he rang the bell, and that was a huge day. That was a day we were all looking forward to. But you know, there's always that in the back of your mind. You know, what's his future? What 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 are we going to be dealing with um, in the near future? In in long term, you know, there is that. Yeah. Um, and once I meant that's kind of the, the, the process of the grieving and trying to compartmentalize your thoughts of, okay, I'm going to celebrate now. I'm going to, that thought of what happens later, it's just, I'm going to have to put that in the back mm-hmm. of my mind. I'm going to celebrate this, this monumental milestone right now and, and deal with whatever comes ahead later. And then, so, yeah, I think that's, that was, I think every parent goes through that when they go through the remission phase is okay, let's celebrate now. But ultimately, you know, we don't know what lies ahead. And unfortunately, what did lie ahead is that it came back and you had to go through that entire process all over again. How I and I think at that point, that's when you really start kind of turning to the social media, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I we'd always we, we had always shared our story, but I think that's where we were, you know, you know, we were ultimately we were facing something that was inevitable that we were going to lose Hayes and and I don't know if we turned to social media as much as we just allowed people to lift us up. You know, it was uh, social media gets a bad rap at times, but it's lifted us up more than perhaps people realize. Um, whether it's people telling us that Hayes inspired them or lifting us up or telling us, you know, we can get through this. This, I mean, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got the news that it was that it had come back and it was terminal. Um, and... You know, you, you face, you're always looking at the next option. And even when it was terminal, you're like, okay, well, what's the next option? And then, you know, there's always the next option that any parent can go through. And, and uh, you know, that that's a hard stage because you got to look at your child and, and see if perhaps that next chance or that next treatment option is is suitable for him or her and you know sometimes you sit back and you've got to be in tune with with your child and in tune with yourself and in tune with you know what's the best decision moving forward and and Hayes had gone through you know I looked at his head and it's full of scars and you know he was his eye has his now was kind of deviated from the other and it's cancer took take taken over vital parts of his brain and you know at that point I felt it was you know we we, we just knew we had to take him home and have him spend the rest of his life with the family. And so, yeah, I mean, it, I think ultimately we made that decision for him to have quality of life for however long it was. And unfortunately it was only a few weeks, but those were the best, you know, best weeks of our lives. You mentioned that Hayes has had this amazing ability to inspire people. And he was only 20 months old when he passed away. Um, so, I mean, not in a place where he could, like, talk or yeah. verbalize anything. What do you think that says to just the value of even, like, the smallest life form that 
if you really look and pay attention, you can find something inspiring there. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, it's amazing, and I think his legacy has his legacy is is ongoing. You know, it wasn't just twenty months, and I think that's the main takeaway um, for which we share our story and why I wrote the book is that it you know it's it's a sad story, but it's it's also a love story. It's also an ongoing story of hope of a twenty month old who, during his twenty months, inspired so many people and um but more so after that and and you know what the foundation that we formed um and the the stories that we tell his impact just continues to grow and that's that's ultimately that's that's legendary status i mean that's legacy and most people in the 80 years of living never get to to accomplish that um you know i think the coolest thing was when he was on hospice you know, I'm looking at the Jimmy Valvano. I'm watching college football, and um, you know, there's Hayes on on TV, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing him on TV and and saying, "Well, that's 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 his legacy," and perhaps that was his mission in in this world. And you know, I think that's that's one thing I've learned is, you know, his his mission was short, but man, it's it's ongoing, and it's his legacy's great, and. Uh, and I, I continue to have to think about that when, you know, when obviously when I deal with the grieving of, of missing him. It's, it's been a few years. Does, has it gone easier at all? You know, it, it yeah, I, I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the grieving world, it's been two and a half years. And I think the, the grieving process gets, I don't want to say easier. Uh, the time in between your grieving stages prolongs. Mm-hmm. But when it hits, it hits hard. So it, it's almost like this pressure release valve, right? They go a long period of time and then something triggers it and you let it all out. And, and you know, grieving, I've learned, grieving doesn't stop. There's no, you don't stop. Like there's, you know, people perhaps that look from the outside in says, well, can he get over it? Or, you know, give him some time. And it just doesn't stop. Every, you, grieving will continue the rest of his life. I mean, it, or the rest of my life, it'll just, It'll always be here. Um, it'll come and go in waves, but it, it, it will never not be a part of, of who I am. Um, but ultimately, you've got to channel that, channel it as much as you can as well. That's, that's, that's now the, kind of the, the, the life that I live, is channeling my, my grieving and how, when it comes, how, do, how am I going to channel it? When did you guys finally decide that creating an organization, that the Hayes Tough organization and writing your book, The 20-Month Legend, would be appropriate ways to, I think, one, deal with the grieving, and two, carry on his, his short legacy and, and keep it going. You know, I, I, it, I didn't intend to write a book at all. It was, I, got woke, it was, I woke up at like 4 o'clock in the morning, and it was like, you've got to write this book. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, I've never written a book. Um, I could write some incredible essay exams, but, <laughs> you know... Uh, I never, never written a book, but it, it, I've never felt a stronger impression in my entire life to write a book. So I just, I sat down and wrote it and I finished it in four weeks and I didn't know if that was normal, but come to find out it's not normal. Most people spend years writing a book and, and, um, you know, sure enough, as, as, a, as fate would have it or, you know, uh, call it what you may, but you know, Hayes's hand was involved somewhat, uh, it ended up getting published and um 
and we had already kind of uh, prior to Hayes passing away, we kind of knew we wanted to form a foundation because we had a footprint, you know, I mean, I think, um, we talk about Hayes's legacy and, but so much of his legacy is now in our hands. And, you know, I kind of sit back and say, as, as someone who's, who's been on the highs of highs of college football and eyes have been on me at times, you know, if I was blessed with this, why would I not be a voice for these kids that have cancer? Why would I not do something with this voice? I mean, ultimately we're judged by how we impact people. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, nobody cares what you did in football when you're 80 years old, but you're, they're going to look back on a legacy of what did you do for others? And, and so I think that it was a no brainer. I mean, for my wife and I to have this platform and, and not do something with it would, would be a, a huge mistake and it'd be a missed opportunity and perhaps a missed, you know, calling in our life. And so the, the Hayes Tough Foundation has been uh, amazing and it's been something I never imagined. I mean, I never, I, I hoped at one point we would be able to raise enough money to help one family. You know, mm-hmm. when we, we gave our first check out, we have two checks out for $10,000 at our, at our 5k. And it was like, I, I was like, yeah, that's it. We were accomplished, you know, and then we had a couple of events and then maybe we'll raise some more money and then, you know, a private donor and all, all of a sudden, you know, we've raised more than $600,000 in, in two and a half years. And uh, that's unprecedented. And most, most charities, most foundations are, uh, don't even stay afloat after five years, you know, and we were ha- able to, to raise a lot of money for these families and, the you know the thing about it is my wife and I, it's we're doing it because this, this is what we feel is right. We're not doing it for self profiting. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing that goes to us. This is just us. This is us living Hayes's kind of continuing Hayes's legacy, living for Hayes. I'm a firm believer that there are no accidents and that things happen for a reason. Um, and interestingly enough, I interviewed you about the Hayes Tough Foundation mm-hmm. a few years ago. That same day, I ended up meeting Reno Mahi, who has ended up being a, a good friend of yours. Um, and you talk all the time about Hayes Hints. And yeah. for those that don't know, Reno Mahi had a daughter that tragically died. It was an accident. She got tangled in some blinds and suffocated. Um, but she ended up passing away within, what, like a, a week of Hayes? Um yeah, if not sooner. Yeah. I mean, it was it was in a I think a couple of days. And and what I think makes it so interesting is that Bruno Mahi played played football again for Utah's rival. And for those that don't know, there's no love lost in in the Holy War. But somehow these two these two children brought brought their parents together. It, Talk about that friendship. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was uh, so, you know, I haven't even shared this story, but um, I do high school analyzing sideline reporting, and Reno and I have always crossed paths. Mm-hmm. In fact, I played against him when I was at Utah State when I was a freshman, and he was, uh, this is his junior year. So I've actually played against him, but we've never officially had that, hey, Reno, I'm, I'm Steve. You know, we've never had that, that impact or that, that official greeting. You know, we've known each other. We cross paths. There's a built-in fraternity, but we've never had that one-on-one. And um, before we left, where we, before we left to Disneyland to celebrate Hayes's, you know, in, in November to celebrate his remission. So this is three weeks before he passed away, three mm-hmm. to four weeks. The Thursday, bef- no, the Saturday before I was doing a high school game, 
and Reno was coaching for BYU and I was on the sideline and he was on the sideline and it was, Hey, you know, it was kind of that ultimate, Hey, this is our first time one-on-one. Here we are. I'm Steve and Reno and how are you doing? And we small talk. Mm -hmm. And when Hayes was diagnosed, when, when we found out that it came back and he was, was terminal, I had sent out a tweet and Reno had kind of sent his condolences. And then that day I checked my Twitter five hours later and Reno's daughter had been live flighted to primary children's. So, you know, I, I look back and those, I call them haze hints, which uh, for those that don't know, haze hints means it's, it's hints that Hayes is letting us know he's around or things that aren't coincidental that are from God, from, from him, from Hayes, from angels. And I, I kind of just look at this, how Reno and I, how we've, how our relationships evolved. And I'm like, this is not coincidental. This mm-hmm. is probably meant to be. And, um, you know, Elsie and Hayes, their impact, um, for whatever reason brought us together. And, you know, I was with him two days ago, eating him and his wife eating lunch. And, um, so it's, it's formed a relationship and I think it's given people outside some perspective in life on, on just how minimal football is in the grand scheme of things. You guys have actually started teaming up together and doing a red and blue gala, um, the week of the Holy war, uh, which I think is refreshing. It's, it's nice to see something good kind of yeah. coming out of some of the hostility. How, how did that go last week? Or I guess by the time this airs, it's going to be more like two weeks. Yeah. How did that go? It, it was, it was great. It was awesome. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was Reno and our families and, and, uh, highlighting what we've been through. And, you know, it, it was really cool cause it, uh, it showed highlights of BYU and Utah and it brought football, you know, in, into the, into the event. But, you know, it it was more important. It's about Hayes and and Elsie's legacy, and and uh, but you're right. I mean, it was it was an opportunity for us to highlight something good from the rivalry, which needs to happen more often. Uh, but it was it was it was it was extremely successful, and we're excited to you know to do it again next year and and continue to grow and and do other events and 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 make you know make uh, uh, make this rivalry a little more a little more friendly. What would you say Hayes's biggest impact on you has been? You know, I, I'll be honest, it's funny. I, um, I've changed entirely as a person. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, those that perhaps know me or knew me before, I'm, I'm a different, I'm a different guy. Um, and I, I, I embrace that, you know, I'm not the same that I was before. Um, I was very wound tight. I was probably, you know, your type A and couldn't relax and, and, um, I still have that. That's, that's just, you know, just, you're born with that. But I, I've been given, uh, I've been given, I don't know. I, I don't want to say second chance in life, but I begin, I've, give, I've been given a perspective from Hayes that, um, I can't, I can't not live in the way in which he taught me. And that was probably more soaking in every day. You know, I, I've said this and and sometimes when I speak to audiences, I share this, but um, when you've experienced the hell that I've been through, the low of the low, you realize how good the highs are or how good, or, or your new, your new definition of high is, is what people would say in everyday experiences. You know, mm-hmm. the, you'd say, how, how is your day? Or to me, I've experienced the low of low where I've been in a trapped in a hospital room and for 150 days, with my son throwing up and then that when you've experienced that 
the everyday normalities of life are gifts and you relish those and you embrace those more. So I'd say I, I'm, I'm much, I'm much more easygoing. I'm much more jovial. I'm much more, I'm going to dance and have fun and hang out with my kids. And I don't care what, you know, people think or what it's just, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy life way more than I ever would have before. What do you guys have coming up for Hayes Tough and how can people get involved and help? We've got our, uh, our annual, uh, dream ball and this is, it's, this is special. So we, we take, uh, upwards of 10 to 15 kids. And prior to the dream ball, we, we ask them what they want to be when they grow older. And we've got everything from a ballerina to a teacher, to a nurse, to a monster truck driver, Mm -hmm. and we make it happen. So we'll go for the day. We go arrange for them to be that. And we take pictures of, of what, of what they want to be when they get older. And at the dream ball, we bring up them, bring them up on stage with them and their pictures and, and, um, we make it about the kids and, uh, it's an event. There's a silent auction, live auction, there's dinner, but it is strictly for these kids and it's letting these kids and families be highlighted. And that's coming up on November 9th at uh, Rice Eccles stadium. It's going to be at the, in, in one of those in the, in the press box area at Rice Eccles stadium, November 9th. Um, you can go to haystuff.org to find out more about that event and other events. So, uh, this is, this is my favorite one though. This is, mm-hmm. this is one that, uh, I love the rivalry component. I love that. But this is my favorite one because it's, it's just about the kids. It's all it's about. As it should be. Yeah. 100%. Well, Steve, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to talk to me about your, your life's journey and about your son, Hayes. And for those of you, check out his organization. It's absolutely phenomenal, the things that they do for these families. Um, and, and the lessons I think you can learn from him. Also check out his book, The 20-Month-Old Legend. Steve, where can people find you online? You can find me probably, you go to Instagram, uh, you know, it'll be everything from like bachelor recaps to dancing in the streets to sharing about Hayes. I mean, it's funny people say I, your account's the only one that will make me cry and laugh in the same day. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's true. <laughs> honestly, it's, it's funny. Jimmy Valvano in his speech uh, before he died and Jimmy Valvano was a former coach and he formed the Jimmy V foundation, but he, you know, he, his, 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 uh, famous quote was something along the lines. And I, you know, don't quote it verbatim, but it was, if you laugh and you cry and you smile and you think every day, that's a hell of a day. And, uh, so that's what I am. I'll make you cry. I'll make you laugh. Uh, you want to experience all those emotions, but that's, that's my, that's kind of my Instagram is make you cry and make you make, make you cry, make you laugh make you smile and make you think. So, uh, Instagram, it's at eight at Tate 28. And then also on Twitter, which is more kind of my sports, uh, sports world, uh, persona. And that's at Tate 28 as well. Awesome. Thank you again so much, Steve. For those of you that have been listening, I'm Michelle Bodkin. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bodkin 247 sports, or just on Facebook, Michelle Bodkin, Or I guess if you really are interested in the Utes, some of you may be, some of you may not be, go check out Ute Zone. I put out a ton of content. My colleagues put out a ton of content. Until next time, signing off.